Thank you again for uh, worshiping, uh, worshiping with us. We are um, about three weeks out from, uh, from Easter, where we, uh, that day we celebrated the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and we celebrated the fact that the tomb was empty. And now uh, we're three weeks out, and we've been in the, in the middle of this series. We're kind of uh, in the middle of this series. And I was thinking back to uh, our Resurrection Sunday. Uh, we had, after our worship service, we had a picnic out at uh, Dr. Phillips Park, and a lot of our people were out there and had a really good time, had some amazing food and uh, just really good company with each other and, and, and fellowship and fun and hanging out and volleyball. And there's a water park for the kids. And I think one of the highlights of the day for our, our young ones, for the littlest ones of, of Harvest, was this Easter egg hunt. And it was a whole bunch of fun. And uh, there's a video that one of our, our moms put up. We're not going to watch it here. But um, that one of our moms, uh, Ying Young YK, she put up and she recorded and she, she threw it up on on Facebook, and uh, if you watch this video, it's really cool. You see all the the, the little children of Harvest running around. There's uh, Emmeline and 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 Evelyn and and Rayhan and and, and Jalen and and Kenny, and they're all running around in this video trying, <laughs> trying to get these uh, Easter eggs. And um, it was kind of like it was kind of like this uh, little version of, of of an Easterized survival of the fittest, right? Everyone is, is caring there. And, and our little ones, for those of you who don't know, are, are pretty little. They're like one, two years old. And, and they're just kind of like teetering along, picking up eggs and shaking them. And they're not really efficient in how they do it. They're kind of like stumbling along, picking it up and, and putting it in their basket. And, and everyone is, is trying to fill up their own baskets. And then you see uh, in, the, in different parts of this video, there's an older gal, Chloe. She's eight years old, and she's like Thor to these other kids, right? So she's like running around faster than everyone else and, and bigger than everyone else. She's able to reach uh, high trees and bushes and things, and she's filling up her basket. And you're watching this. You're like, oh, my gosh, Chloe's going to dominate this. Right? She's going to be the, the Easter egg hunt dominator. And so she's putting in all these. But at the, end of, at the end of this video, something really cool happened. I don't think this is the end of the Easter egg hunt, but it's the end of what YK recorded. At the end of the video... Uh, you see Chloe goes and she picks up this Easter egg and then she runs over to Emmeline's basket and she puts it in hers. And I thought about that for a second and I, I think there's something – if you watch the video, go to YK's Facebook page. You're going to get like a million hits today. But go to her Facebook page and, and you watch this video and I, I, I learned something as I was watching that. When our baskets are empty, we spend all of our time trying to fill up our own baskets, don't we? But when our basket is filled, we can then begin to look out and see how we can fill the baskets of other people. Now, this is the idea that we've been kind of looking at for the past few weeks as we're in this series called Empty. I, I wonder where you are today. If you're empty in your heart, you're constantly looking for how your heart can be satisfied and how you can be filled. But if you're full, if, you have, if you're if you're heart is filled, then you can begin to look outward and begin to think about how you can fill uh, the basket, so to speak, of other people. Two guys that we're looking at this uh, last, last couple of weeks is a, is a fellow named Jacob and a fellow named Esau. And we look at their stories and we see that when we're, their hearts are empty, the only thing they can try and do is to take from other people. They cannot uh, give their, uh, of themselves to others. Hey, we are going to continue looking at this story because we've been kind of examining what it is that causes us to be empty, the symptoms of it, what it looks like when we're empty. The first week we saw that we become empty oftentimes when we try and do God's will and try and do it our way. Right? That's, the, that's one of the ways we, saw in, we would see in Jacob's life. Another way we become empty is when we take our will 
And we hold it up and try and get God to conform his will to ours and say, God, this is what you ought to be doing. So bless me as I journey towards this direction. When we do God's will our way or our will God's way, uh, even God's way leading to our will, it never leads to God's fullness in us. And then last week we saw that Esau, the older of these two brothers, was empty. And in his emptiness, it manifests itself in him selling his birthright for dinner, his destiny for dinner. And when we're empty... The temptation is to trade that which is ultimate for that which is immediate. Today, we're going to look at the same passage, the same account that we looked at last week, but we're going to look at it through the empty eyes of Jacob. And as we see, uh, we're going to learn something interesting, and I hope that it becomes a mirror to us. Uh, Genesis 25, we're going to read starting in verse 27 uh, through verse 34. We look at this, uh, be reminded that this is something that happened Uh, probably about 4,000 years ago. And as we read this, this is God's word. The boys grew up and Esau became a skillful hunter, a man of the open country, while Jacob was a quiet man staying among the tents. Isaac, who had a taste for wild game, loved Esau, but Rebekah loved Jacob. Once when Jacob was cooking some stew, Esau came in from the open country famished. He said to Jacob, quick, Let me have some of that red stew. I'm famished. That's why he was also called Edom. And Jacob replied, first, uh, sell me your birthright. Look, I'm about to die, Esau said. What good is a birthright to me? But Jacob said, swear to me first. So he swore an oath to him, selling his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau some bread and some lentil stew. He ate and drank and then got up and left. So Esau despised his birthright. This is God's word. Uh, there is an um, American psychologist, Rene uh, Spitz is his name. He did this study. Uh, 97 orphans in a South American orphanage. Okay, 97 of these, anywhere from three months to three years old. And he observed them and he watched them. 97 orphans, and all of them were well cared for in terms of their food. They were well fed. Uh, they were taken care of health-wise. The only thing is that there was a shortage of nurses in that orphanage, so they could not get the individualized attention and coddling and love that they needed. And everything else, they were uh, well-fed. They got all of their medication, but they couldn't get loved and handled and hugged and, and played with like all children those ages need to be cared for and played with and, and coddled. And so after some time, he began to realize within three months of his observation to realize that these children, because of this lack of loving attention, lack of care in them, what ended up happening was that they had a loss of appetite. They couldn't sleep. There was a general loss of interest in life. That kids wouldn't be, they wouldn't be amused by rattles and toys and jingly things and things that that spin around. Within uh, within five months, began to realize that they, they had these emotional reactions. They would be shaking and trembling. They would whimper through the night. And at five months, some of their faces began to become grotesquely twisted after five months of of being without this kind of care. After one year, after one year, 27 of these children died. Within the second year, nine more died out of 97. And of the ones who actually did survive, 21 of them were so deeply jacked up that they could not live normal functioning lives and they were considered hopeless by the rest of society. It starts out that young. Each of us have within us a tank. Okay, not like 
uh, General Patton's like military tank. But each of us has a tank, kind of like a gas tank. And when we're filled, when we're filled, we're able to live and give and freely and freely be able to, to care for other people. But when we're empty, we live out of that emptiness. We live out of that deficiency. Maybe, I don't know how many of us here are living out of an empty heart. And so we act out on that way and we give ourselves to other things to try and fill this emptiness, but we end up feeling even more and more and more empty. See, Jacob was a man like this. You remember Jacob, the younger of the two brothers, Esau, right? Two of these guys could not be more opposite. Esau was the man's man. He was kind of the guy who drives a four by four, carries a rifle, member of the NRA and likes watching Bear Gryllis on TV. This is, this is Esau, the big, hairy, strong guy, kind of like Pastor Albert. And then you've got Jacob. He's the younger brother. Okay. He's a younger brother. He's got fair skin, smooth, uh, likes to stay among the tents. He likes watching HGTV. He's he has expensive furniture in his home. Everything is impeccable and clean and neat and everything is, is in order. Two guys could not be more different. And because of that, or maybe in spite of that, J, I, Jacob was loved by his mother, Rebecca. Esau was loved by his father, Isaac. And the one thing that Jacob wanted in his life, and we see, we're going to see this next week, is going to come just get blown up. Next week as we see this, but the one thing that, that Jacob is desperate for of anything else in this life is he just wants to be loved by his dad. That's it. If you read ahead to, to chapter 27, you're going to see this and how desperate he is for this kind of love. But we've been seeing inklings of it because it's constantly mentioning how uh, Rebecca loved Jacob, but uh, Esau was loved by, by Isaac. And so it leaves Jacob with this sense of deficiency. And when, especially when this happens from the earliest age, especially when this happens from the earliest age, the hemorrhaging effects take place and it, it, just, it, it bleeds all over the rest of Genesis. And that affects our lives as well. If our emotional tanks are not filled at a young throughout our lives. See, there was an article in the New York Times. I don't know if you guys read it. It's about this thing called the father school. Anyone read this article? It was like a week and a half ago in New York Times. Basically, they, they called it a 12-step program for Korean dads. And the idea was that this father school was begun because what they believed is that Koreans, and not, not all of us are Koreans, but I think it, it, it's, uh, it's uh, pan-culture, it transcends culture. But Korean people uh, who started this father school realized that they had no idea how to be a father. And so this father school was created basically to teach men how to be dads. And so one of the things they taught was, here's how you hug a person. And for that, it was like completely foreign to them. As you're reading this article, they're like, they had no idea what to do because they'd never done that, nor had they ever received that. Isn't that tragic? That people grow up like with dads who don't know how to hug them. And they, they go back and they say, well, uh, it's because we never learned how to be hugged, that they had fathers who never hugged them. And, and, and as you're reading this article, they interviewed this one volunteer, and this volunteer said, it's like all of these men have this button. They're all ready to cry. They're all ready to cry. You just have to push this button, and they just spill out everywhere. It's kind of like the Staples easy button, but they've got this button that says cry. Right? You push it, and psh, all this like tears come out. And they would write these letters like grown, hardened men, 50, 60 years old, writing letters to their dads saying, you expected so much, but you never realized how much I was trying for you. 
And how this like vacuum of father love in their heart caused them to be so broken and how it spilled out of their lives and it affected every part of who they are. This past week, our uh, vision church, our Korean speaking congregation hosted a mother school, very similar thing. And a few of our moms were there and you'll be hearing, I think you'll be hearing from some of them and, and all of them talk about what an amazing time it was. But similar thing, tears and tissues flowing the entire time. A lot of it dealing with their relationships and this lack of love from their parents. Right? Flowing down from that place because in order to explore how we can be better parents, we have to see how we were misparented by those who are above us. And it, it, this afternoon, we're having this thing called partay time. And, and one of the things that we're trying to do is, is help our families to be able to communicate in these kinds of ways. To think about how can we love our children in a way that they understand? How can children love their parents in a way that they understand? And I, I'll... I'll never forget that one of, one, of the time, one of the first times we did this, the exercise was to, was to share and to talk about what Christ-like character do you see or what do you value in your parents, in your student, in your teacher. And one of these people, one of these fathers, typically stoic, typically doesn't really express himself, said of his son how proud he was and how much he loved him in the company of his peers and this student was saying, you know, I have, I've been waiting and wishing and longing for my dad to say that for all of these years. And for him to say that in front of my friends was one of the most meaningful experiences of our relationship. See, when we don't have this kind of love, when our emotional tank is not filled, we act out of that brokenness. We act out of that place. And prime time exhibit A is our boy Jacob. And here's Jacob. He's growing up longing for his father's love and never getting that, just completely depleted of that. And so when his brother Esau comes, he comes running in in verse 20, well, in verse 29, Jacob was cooking. Esau comes in, quick, let me have some of that red stew. I'm famished. When someone comes in in that kind of a condition, in Jewish culture, according to Jewish law, this is what you're supposed to do. Whenever someone comes to you and they need a meal, you go and you feed them. That's why in Genesis 18, three strangers come to Abraham. They come and, and Abraham runs out to meet them. He falls on his knees and he says, please come into my home. Let me feed you. And he says to his wife, Sarah, he says, quickly, make some bread for them. Make some food for them so I can feed them. In chapter 19, same thing happens. There's a couple strangers who come. They come to Lot's village. And Lot comes and he says, please, please, let me, let me give you a place to stay. Let me give you some food. Because Jewish culture mandated that whether they're whoever they are, even if they're a stranger, if they're in need, you bend over backwards in order to take care of their physical needs. So here comes. Not just some stranger, but flesh and blood. This is his brother. And he comes in, he says, he says little brother, I'm going to die. I need some food. When we're empty and we can't give, we only seek to take. And this is what Jacob is doing. So, verse 29, Jacob was cooking some stew. Can you... <laughs> Can you smell what the Jake is cooking here? Typically, typically you go and you, you give food to these people. But here he sets up his own little lemonade stand, this red stuff stand, and he says, I'll sell it to you. Because when we're empty, we can't give freely to other people. We can only take from them because we want to get rather than give. And so here he is. And, and this, all of this, if you can, if you can, can take it and, and look at it in its original context, all of this reeks of premeditation here that he just so happened to be cooking some of his favorite stew 
lentil stew. I don't know why that would be anyone's favorite, but he's cooking that while he's out and he's about, he's about to come in starving. And so he's cooking this. And then he says, let me have some of it. And he says, first, sell me your birthright. Okay, again, this language is, is language that speaks of how he has been thinking through this and, and, and conniving and, and considering. Because the only thing he wants, the only thing he wants is, I just want, I just want to be loved. That's all I want. And he begins to realize that if my dad is not going to love me, then I'm going to hurt the one that he does love. That's not so uncommon, is it? See this in movies all the time, right? Bad guy, and you got this good guy, and the good guy is just like way too smart and way too good, way too sneaky, way too strong. Bad guy can't do anything about it, so he says, you know what? If I can't attack him, I'm going to kidnap his kid, right? Then what happened with that one movie? Um, it's a one-word movie. I forget what it's called, like captured or taken. Was it taken? Worst movie ever, but that's kind of the idea behind it. Or like the, the bad guys can't do anything to the good guys, so they kidnap their, their parents or something like that. It, it, we, we see this a lot. I, I think we see it a lot. I feel like I see it a lot in, in movies that are – I don't like this. I was, I was trying to explain it to Olivia, and, and she, we're trying to think of movies where this happens. But uh, maybe you can think of one as, we're ta- as I talk about it. But this guy and this girl, high school sweethearts, right? They love each other. Captain of the football team, head cheerleader, match made in heaven, right? Beautiful. They probably live in Texas because that's where these things happen. They live in Texas. Oh, we, we love each other. And, and my ticket out of here is football. And I'm going to follow you. And we're going to go. And we're going to make it big in this life and, and all this stuff. So here they are. And they're going through their senior year. He's getting his college uh, scholarships to play football. And she's hearing back from her colleges. And one day this guy says, you know what? Um, I don't think this is going to work out. She's like, why? Like, because we're, you know, we're just it, like our paths are so different. I'm going to go off into the big city and, and your grades are, are, are so poor that you're going to not be able to go where, where I'm going. You don't have the money to go where I'm going. She's like, we can make it happen. You know, if all we, you know, we've got each other and that's a, that's, a, that's a lot for love and that's all we need, right? And he's like, I'm sorry. I don't think it's going to happen. She's like, why? Come on, why? Please, please. We can try. We can try. You know, we can, we can make it work long distance. He's like, I'm sorry. It's done. It's over. It's not going to work. And so she's devastated. Like this girl, sweet as, as apple pie, just completely crushed. Oh, my gosh, what am I going to do? And so in this moment, she, like, calls him at the middle of the night, and she's sobbing, and he doesn't answer the phone, and, and she knocks on his door, and he doesn't answer, and she's like, what's going on? So in desperation, here's what she does. She, like, breaks into his email account because she knows his, his password. It was like, I love this girl. And so she types it, gets in the email account, and he, she finds, to her shock and awe, not all shock and terror. She finds these emails from this other girl. She realized, who's this other girl? It's a new girl who moved into their, their little town at the beginning of the school year. She moved into town from some other, like, pohick little uh, town in, in Oklahoma. And so she, and they're, like, setting up these, these, like, dates and things like that. And she's like, oh, my gosh, I should have known. And so she goes back and she calls him up and she's like, I know what you're up to. And, and this girl's no good. She's trouble. I heard all these things about her, but he's not hearing it because he thinks that she's just trying to get back at him. Like, no, no, no. And she's like, please, we've got to get back together. I'm so much better than she is. And he's like, no, you know, I, I, I can't do that. And so in her last ditch effort, here's what she does. She can't get with him. She begins sending these threatening messages to this other girl. Right? She gets dog poop and she lights it on fire and she puts it on his porch and Rings the doorbell. She runs away. She does all these crazy things. Because in her heart, if I can't get him, then I'm going to attack the one that he loves. And so that's what Jacob is doing. 
I can't get with him, if I can't get the love of my father, if I can't get the one thing that I'm craving, then I'm just going to take it out on the one that he loves. He'll see. Then they'll get it. And so he sells his, uh, he, sell, he gives his stew for the birthright. And so he's got it. He's finally got this one thing, this one thing that, that makes him anything in that society. He's got the birthright. We're going to begin to see in uh, the weeks to come that that birthright was completely insufficient in order to satisfy his heart. But we see, we see something in, in, in Jacob that perhaps you see in your friends, or maybe you see it in, in yourself, that when we're so empty in our heart, like inside, that there's nothing that we have to give to other people. But when we're full, we can give freely to others. Let me, let me ask, is that why some of you, when, when someone asks you to, to get involved in this way or to serve or to be involved in student leadership or whatnot, and you never want to do it? Is it because deep in your heart there's nothing inside that you have to give? You're like, I don't want to give to anybody else. I, need, I want them to, to fill me. I want them to serve me. I want them to meet my needs. See, when we're empty, we can't give to other people. We only want people to give to us. We only want to get, even if it means taking from other people. How do you respond when someone calls you late at night and they've got a prayer request? Like, hey, I really, I really need your help. Does your heart sink and you begin to think of, why didn't they call somebody else? Or, oh my gosh, here we go again. When someone shares a prayer request, do you feel like, oh my, I've got something else to pray for? Like, don't they know I've got enough, uh, enough things that I've got on my plate? Is that how we respond or do we move to saying, yeah, I would love, I would love to pray for you because I see with a heart of compassion how deeply you're in need and I want to move towards you. See, people who are empty, people who are empty only ask, what can I get? People who are full ask, what can I give? People who are, people who are full say, how much can I do? People who are empty say, how little can I do and and still get away with it? People who are full want to minister to other people. People who are empty want to manipulate others in order to get their, in order to get their needs met. You see, the, here's, the thing about Jacob was that he, he did give, but the very reason he gave was so that he could get something better in return. Maybe that's some of us. Yeah, you're eager to get involved and serve other people, but really you do that because you want people to validate your existence in this life. They say that, you know what, they did a great job. They're really good at doing this. They're really gifted in that area, and they really helped me out. Or they really guided me through this difficult time, and, and yeah, I give props to them. And so in our emptiness, we give in order to boost up our sense of significance. See, when we're empty, we can still serve and give to other people. But we do so because we want to get something in return. See, people are empty. I say this all the time. When guys and girls are dating in their emptiness, this is why, you see, relationships are never meant to be given so that we can receive something. It's always first and foremost meant so that we can, we can give to others. Relationships are built on love, which is always self-giving rather than on lust, which is always self-taking. And I'll say this all the time. I, I forgot where I heard this, but guys will often give quote-unquote love. Like, I, I'll take you out. I'll be nice to you. I'll go to that marriage conference. I'll I'll, I'll, I'll give you that teddy bear. I'll, I'll treat you to a nice dinner. They give love in order to get sex. But girls will give sex in order to get love. Right? They're, they're still, we're both still giving, but we do it in order to get something. Because we're deeply empty and we want to be filled and we want to be satisfied. 
And I'm talking about in the context of non-marriage relationships. That's what I'm talking about. But in our marriage relationships, it's the same thing. Do you have stuff to give to your spouse? Do you want to give to them? Or are you always wanting to receive from them? Because if we're empty, we're constantly going to want to be receiving from other people. Here's Jacob. He gives in order to get something for himself. And he gets this one thing that he thinks is going to satisfy, but it ends up not. And as you read this story, as I read this, man, I'm like, that, it's almost like unfair that he would get this most prized possession in ancient Jewish culture. And he did it by cheating and lying in these underhanded ways. Maybe we feel like, we feel like that's not fair that sin goes unpunished, that sin goes unchecked. That sin goes and it seems to have no consequences. Me, you feel like you're living in that way right now. I've been living in sin and so far everything's been cool. Nothing's happened. Been all right. Nothing uh, bad has, has happened in terms of like I'm still healthy. People still like me. People still respect me. Nobody knows these things. But see, the, the message that we'll see in Jacob's life is that, yeah, God allows this to happen for a certain period of time, but his timing is a whole lot wiser than ours. That at the proper time, the bottom's going to fall out of this and Jacob's going to be exposed for who he is. And the emptiness in his heart is just going to be completely busted wide open. And the consequences are going to come to him because God sometimes allows sin to go seemingly unchecked like it did when, when in the Garden of Eden. He said, you will surely die. He, he didn't kill them after, at that certain point in time, but that death sentence was pronounced over them that there will be a time of reckoning. And there will be a time where our sin catches up to us. There will be a time when we get and we realize, oh, my gosh, I should have, I should have gotten the hint when I, when I began to, to hear these things. I should have gotten convicted. I should have changed. I should have done something. But... But now here it all comes back to us. And sometimes God allows these things to happen so that his maximum glory would be revealed, so that we could learn the lesson in the most powerful way possible. See, God's not, we can't fleece God. We're not pulling it over God. Like God doesn't see these things. But he allows it to happen for his own purposes that at the right time, the effects of sin catch up to us so that we throw ourselves Upon him, we could either do that later or we can do it now. See, the Israelites, as they would go through life, as they hear this story, they realize that, you know what? Our founding father was pretty jacked up. He was pretty messed up. He had a whole lot of bad, stupid things. But as they continue in the story, they realize that but God's grace would not let him stay in that place. And God would begin to mold him. He will begin to change him. He will begin to transform him. And the message of grace is that he wants to do that for each of us today. That no matter how empty we are and out of our emptiness, we live out of that broken place. We live out of that empty place. No matter how empty we are, no matter how jacked up our emotional tanks might be. God says, I can still change you and I can mold you and I can make you and I can transform you. And that's what I'm about doing. How does this happen? Hebrews chapter 12, we looked here last week, but I want to turn our attention to Hebrews chapter 12. And, and we've got to get this. If we, if, we, if we miss it, we can easily pass over. Hebrews chapter 12, 
verse 22 and 23. When he's talking about, the writer of Hebrews is talking about the perfect and pure church. He writes in verse 22, But you have come to Mount Zion, to the heavenly Jerusalem, the city of the living God. You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly, to the church of the firstborn, whose names are written in heaven. What in the world does that mean? How in the world is this verse a key to unlocking so much of what Jacob struggled with? Here's why. Because we see something that Jacob could never see on this side of the cross. Look at how it describes the church. It says, this is the church of the firstborn. Literally what it's saying, he's saying, this is the perfect church. And in the perfect church, every single person is the firstborn. Just like Esau, not like Jacob. How in the world does that happen? Because even if you're twins, Jacob and Esau, one of them, only one of them is the firstborn. How is it that within the church, everyone can be firstborn? We all know, especially if you, if you, once you have kids, that there's nothing like the firstborn child. I, I, uh, when I got my iPhone, which is not as new as it used to be, uh, the salesman was talking with me, and they said, how many, uh, how many uh, gigabytes do you want on? You want 16 or, or 32? I said, there's no way I need 32. I get the 16. Within three months, 16 gigs were filled up. I had like 0.10 left as I looked on my on – my, I was like, what in the world happened? And I looked at uh, – uh, if you once you plug in your phone to your iTunes, it shows this like color-coded bar that shows you what's taking up all of your space. I looked at that, and the great majority of the space on my phone was taken up by pictures and videos, like four-minute videos, five-minute videos of our firstborn daughter. I'm thinking, wow, this is a whole lot of space. And I, I watch these and I giggle and I'm like a, a, just like any father of a firstborn, of an only child watching and loving and doting on my child. People are like, don't worry, enjoy it while you can because if you have a second child, it's not going to be like that anymore. We don't take pictures of our second child. We don't take pictures of our third child. Fourth child, forget it. Hey, same thing. You think about the name of your baby. You pray over it. You look at these baby books. You make a list of 25 names. Second child, they're just like, oh, yeah, there's a guy on TV named this. We're going to call him that. You, you see these things like first child, when, when the pacifier falls on the ground, you take it and you sterilize it in hot water and do all these things. By the time you get your third child, you just pick it up and stick it back in the baby's mouth. You don't Second child, third child gets all the hand-me-down clothes, but the firstborn gets all the new stuff. We know that the firstborn is treated differently because at one point, the firstborn is the only one you've got. Here's what the writer of Hebrews is saying. You understand this. It can change your heart. Within the church, saying no matter who you are, no matter how loved or unloved you are by your mom or dad, whatever the, the wounds and the emptiness in your heart, it says within the church, every single one of you is treated as if you were the firstborn and the only one to God. Within the church, this is who you are, that you are the one who's filling up God's iPhone. If he were to have one, he doesn't have one, obviously, but if he were, 
that you are the one who he's putting your face on his credit card. You're the one who's on his screensaver. You're the one that he's constantly looking at and loving and, and, and just caring for and pouring infinite love. Why? Because he did have a one and only son. And at that cross, that one and only son called out to his father. But he was completely rejected. In fact, he was rejected so much that he couldn't even call him father. And he could only say, my God, my God, why? Why have you abandoned me? Why have you forsaken me? Why have you left me? The reason is because he was forsaken so that you could be loved with the love that the only begotten son of God, Jesus Christ, deserved to be loved. And he gave that kind of love to you and me, even when we're crooks, even when we're cheats, even when we're robbers, even when we're jacked up. And he loves on us in that way. See, Jacob wasn't, Esau was, was a misfit, unfit to carry the birthright, but so was Jacob. But Jacob wasn't chosen because he was good. He became good because God's grace overwhelmed his life and he would never, ever live the same way again. Like, this is us. And once we begin to sit under this, not just hear it right now, but to think about this, to meditate on it, to chew upon it, that I am loved as the firstborn of God, as the only begotten. He loves me. And if I was the only one on earth, he would still pour that kind of love into my life. He says, you're my one and only. And only when we begin to receive this love and are filled with this love, can we go and we can flood out that love to other people. We can freely give. Let's pray together. Let's take a moment to, let's not pray anything right now. Let's just sit under this love and just open up our hearts. Maybe uh, if you just want to open up your heart, even physically by, by lifting your hands up to the Lord and, and say, God, show me what this means. Even using the imagination, the minds that God has given to us to, to think about what it would be like if God were pouring into you right now a father's love for his only daughter or son, how we run around to so many places trying to fill this emptiness, but he's saying, look, I'm pouring that into you. I'm filling you with this kind of love. You are my one and only if you would believe it. Drink of it. Be overwhelmed by it. And move into this love day by day so that you can begin to heal, so that you can give yourself to others. So let's take a, a couple moments just to receive that love. And as that leads you to maybe move out in prayers of gratitude, or maybe you'll feel convicted over certain sin in your life that you need to turn over and say, God, forgive me for acting out of my emptiness. Maybe some of us are, are just hardening our hearts right now and the Lord is just speaking, saying, hey, it's okay. It's okay. Let my love satisfy. Open up your heart. Try, try, trust. Trust. Let me love you. Let me overwhelm you with this love again. Take a couple moments to pray that way before the Lord. and Just meditate, sit, revel, enjoy, soak in the Father's love for you.
Father in heaven, we thank you. Even for bad experiences growing up, even bad experiences now that make us feel like we've been robbed, dry, empty in our hearts. We thank you for these experiences because we know what you are not like. And as we open up the pages of scripture and we read of you singing over your children, dancing over your children, hushing us to sleep, Zephaniah 317, rejoicing over us in your love. We're taught of what you are. Help each and every single one of us in here to realize that your infinite love divided over whatever number is still infinite. And that's your love for each child. That you love each of us as if we're the only one to love. And if we were the only one, you would still have sent your only begotten and allowed the darling of heaven to be crucified so that we could become yours. Remind us, soak us in that grace today. Would you begin to fill our hearts so that as we're filled, we might be able to bless other people. We thank you. We love you and we pray these things in Jesus' name.